When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, when he saw the announcements about Magic's 30th anniversary products, he said, It's four booster packs of non-tournament legal cards, Michael. What could it cost? $1,000? It's Matt Morgan. So, my friend's son asked, Dad, why why do they put the, the pyramids in Egypt? And we couldn't really answer this. So we just said, well, it's just because the, they're too big for the British to move. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Okay. We, I, feel, I, I see that we both decided to come with some jokes that pack a bit of a punch today here, Matt. <laughs> I guess, we, yeah. I, 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 and to be fair, like that joke should be returned to its original author. I, I get it. <laughs> Hell yeah. That was great. All right. Up next, he knows that the <laughs> only thing that actually could ever ruin magic are the folks who always constantly complain about how X thing is going to ruin magic. It's Dana Roach. Um, there are three kinds of people in this world, I think. There are um, those who can count and those who can't. And those who can't. Dana, when even I can predict the punchline to your dad jokes, <laughs> that's not... It's not a good sign. Yeah, man. Maybe I'm getting better at this, or maybe maybe you gotta, gotta, gotta step it up. Step up your game, man. Learn some tips from Matt. Da- did I, becoming did I, predictable in his old, old did years. Did I foreshadow that one too much? Okay, you know, that was good. I see what you did there. All right, all right. Everything is forgiven. Let's get into it. Everybody, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDH RecCast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, do you mind telling us what it is that we're going to be discussing in this week's episode? We're going to be talking about the saltiest commander decks in EDH, and that in no way will possibly be controversial. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will be uh, perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. So for, for everyone, uh, yeah, we did some salt scores a little while ago. We are recording this pretty shortly after we've gotten all of the data, but you know, the show takes time to actually come out. So now we are giving an even further in-depth analysis than the videos that we've already done. We want to go even further into the data to see what else we can find out about the format from the community salt pollings that EDH Rec likes to do every year. So hopefully there's some fun information for y'all here. But before we get into that main topic, let's pause real quick for some fun shout outs. First, we'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for their work in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing on YouTube or your podcast app of choice. Or you can go over to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether there's whatever financial support you want to provide, whether it's you want to join the Discord community that we have, you want some EDHREC swag that we send out, there's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And there's always that special tier where we give shout outs to people just for joining, just for supporting the show. And this week, we want to give that very special shout out to Sean Ratu. So thank you, Sean Ratu, uh, <laughs> for all that support. That's really the only rhyme that I could come up with. So I'm sorry to, uh, to leave you hanging there. 
I'm, I'm sure that Sean appreciates it very much. Just like Sean, we appreciate you. And like, we we super love the support from the patrons, but also like if you, like Matt said, leave a like, leave a review, subscribe on YouTube. Every little bit really helps, whether it's like the support on Patreon or whether you're just leaving comments and engaging and stuff like that. Like it, it's all really, really wonderful. So Sean, thank you so much. Everybody listening and following and watching and all that. Appreciate all of you. All right, let's get into our topic today, fellas. As Dana mentioned, we are talking about the saltiest commander decks in EDH. So real quick, I think we probably need to provide some quick context about the salt scores in case folks don't know what that is. For anyone who doesn't know, the salt scores are a community polling that we do on EDH Rec, where every card can be ranked by people in the community on a scale of zero to four, where zero is like, this card doesn't cause me any flustering at all. And four is, I really don't like to see this card at the table across from me. Uh, real quick, Matt, do you have any uh, examples of of like a zero for you and a four for you, for example? Well, I think to put it simply for everyone to understand, a zero would be a basic planes. No harm, <laughs> no foul there. And a four would be a basic island. Uh, that's that's <laughs> what I don't want to see. It's the absolute last card. If I see somebody play an island, I know for sure I'm not going to want to play a second game with this person. Uh, wow. Because, because okay, I, I, that's exaggerating, obviously. But <laughs> so so a zero on the salt score is is something that, uh, that you don't mind seeing. It, it's something that you, you almost you maybe you kind of expect a little bit. Um, a cultivate, for example, hmm. whatever. Um, but cards that might get a high salt score is like traditionally stacks pieces. So stasis is renowned for being one of those very high salt scoring cards mm -hmm. that people typically get maybe a little salty, thus the salt score when they see it across the table. Very much. Dana, what about your examples? I'm so curious now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think of things that things that consume my time specifically that someone else was playing. So stacks pieces definitely fall into that. The expropriate cards of the world fall into that. Things that make the person I'm playing against consume a large amount of the pod's time. Um, that, that kind of does it. I'm here to play magic, not watch you play magic. Yeah, very fair. And this really, like the whole salt score thing for us is just like some silly and fun, like I, I want to make sure that we say we don't take it too seriously. It's fun community polling. Sometimes people will discover new cards uh, from the random generation when they are voting on all of these things. It, it's pretty fun. And mostly we like to use it as a signal for some cards that probably warrant a pregame discussion heads up for the rest of the table. Like sometimes when you get hit with a, a Vornclex that restricts mana out of nowhere, that can feel a little bit like, uh, but if you've like talked about it with the rest of the table, then obviously there won't be salt there if everyone's on the same page. So we like to use these salt scores as an indicator of like, hey, make sure that everyone on the same page, especially about cards that might function in this kind of way. And that's mostly the, the reason that we, we like to do it, because we hope that that's a fun rule zero or pregame discussion kind of device that people can use to enhance the games that they get to play. So we don't take it too seriously is what I'm trying to say. It's all in good fun. Yeah, you could have the saltiest deck ever made. And as long as your playgroup is enjoying playing against that deck, that's not at all a problem. It's <laughs> Maybe just a good flag about something that you should mention when you're playing outside your playgroup that's used to playing with that right. that uh, NACL ridden deck that you have. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's a very very good point, Dana. Uh, it's not that this is how your playgroup is going to react. Your playgroup is right. probably going to be self governed. You you folks probably have a good relationship with everybody within there. It's more you're going to a command fest to play with strangers. Sure, it's, that's something that it's kind of it's a widespread wider audience than just a local play group of 10 people or so. It's just a good thing. It's kind of like the ban list. It's, it's strong suggestions. It's here's something you should be aware of, but it's nothing that should be taken by any stretch of the imagination as gospel because it's still just community voting. It's all opinion based. 
There you go. Matt, by the way, can I just say that I'm pretty surprised that for your example of a card that gives you a four on the salt scale, you didn't immediately hop to Turgrid? I'm, I mean. <laughs> well, well, I, everybody knew that already. I wanted to give a very accessible answer and an example that everyone would understand. All right, she's got a bright, shiny new salt score of 2.29 out of four. So I hope that you're happy with where she landed. Question it's mark. It's still like four digits too low, but it's progress. It's progress. <laughs> okay. And also, as a heads up for everyone, we have already made a video covering the biggest changes in the salt list. There will be a link for that in the description. Um, that mostly covers some changes to the top 10 most salty cards and any trends upward or downward that we noticed. Um, so all of that is covered in that video, and we'll only lightly touch on it here because we do want to talk about the most salty commanders and the most salty commander decks for this video. But I will throw for the podcast listening audience who may not have seen that video, I do want to note that one of the coolest trends or weirdest trends or one of the trends that we noticed in that uh, in the salt scores compared to the results from last year is that we did see a decent surge upward. Uh, for cards that mention treasure. Like there was not a whole lot of movement on the salt score. Most of the stuff stayed basically where it was. Everyone knows about stasis and all that. But some cards like Old Gnawbone went up by nearly a full point. Or Prosper, cards that mention treasure like Zorn and Academy Manufactor went up by nearly half a point on the salt score. So Matt and Dana, I want to put that to you guys about what you think about the whole, ooh, treasure stuff seemed to get a bump. And it actually, it wasn't just those were the those were the biggest standouts. There was a trend over time. Again, more detail in that video. But like, I don't know, Dana, when you see the treasure, stuff and then it got a little bit more salty for people do you agree do you disagree what do you think absolutely yeah absolutely and and i've and ignoring my own personal reaction like that's definitely a reaction i've seen playing at the out in the wild whether it's at like game shops or at you know various events we've been to this year people do find treasures annoying and even if it's something as simple as you know what do you have for lands that are available and the person's like oh i'm tapped out but I have three treasures and I go, oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't see them over there. Like, but like, it's just, it, it's, it's people do find them a little frustrating and you can tell by their reaction. So mm. that doesn't really surprise me. All right. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised either. The, the community, yes, it, it is mostly opinion based, but when we see significant trends like that, there, there usually is a little bit of, of take home from that. And I'm not sure if it's more burnout from the fact that, we're, it, it, you see treasures more often than you see trample, it seems. <laughs> but also the, the fact that a lot of these cards, they're, they're, they're very powerful. And then the treasure just kind of stapled on there as an extra benefit. So there's a lot more to track in the game now. There's just a whole lot going on there. And then plus, you know, Old Knobbone is wildly powerful card too. So uh, I think that Old Knobbone just on its own merits saw an increase. But uh, it seems the community is onto something that um, maybe maybe treasures aren't really as welcome as they originally were when we first saw them. Yeah, certainly require a, a, a couple of tweaks to things in design. But I think also the designers well and truly know that by this point. But uh, man, uh, Matt, when you were talking there, it reminded me of some meme that I saw that I, I don't know who created it, so I cannot credit. And I'm so sorry for that. But like someone describing uh, New Capenna Limited, where it was like that that meme of someone like turning around to talk to their kid. And it was like them trying to say, why can't you just be a normal card? And then it's this, the kid screaming back, create a treasure token, because like so many <laughs> cards in New Capenna said create a treasure token almost is like extra stuff tacked on we got we got a big influx of it and it was interesting to see evidence of the community's reaction to like okay that was a bit too much of an influx this was a fun river we were playing in and then the treasures became a tidal wave and that was that was a thing that we're all feeling and so the salt scores are evidence of that trend which was noteworthy wanted to touch on that and uh, i don't know that meme just absolutely kills me so <laughs> well I, I guess speaking of treasures then why don't we move into the top 10 saltiest and we'll go to our resident treasure dana um, so dana why don't you why don't you Take us into the, the saltiest 
commanders then. We don't need to go through the saltiest cards. We've done like three episodes on that. <laughs> well, let's just focus on commanders. So the saltiest commanders, um, you know, we have a couple of, of um, Phyrexian Praetors at one and two. Vorn Klex, Voice of Hunger, and Gingitaxis, Core Augurer sitting at the two top two saltiest commanders. 2.6 for Vorn Klex, 2.34 for Gingitaxis. Um, and not particularly surprising. They're, they are two commanders that are known for basically... Locking you out of playing. Um, Vorinclex does it by shutting down your mana, and Jin does it by eliminating your entire hand. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not remotely shocked to see the, those there. I don't think I've ever seen either of them hit the board without somebody audibly groaning. Well, in both of these two, even if you're not playing them as your commander, like these were known as just being very frustrating cards to play against just in general. So the fact that if you'd put these in the command zone, I'm pretty sure you know somebody's going to have a negative reaction to seeing that. Unless, you know, that's like we, what we said, that's what your playgroup normally likes to do if you want to play a little more cutthroat. But mm. both of these have just absolutely game altering effects that uh, once you hit, once you get them on the board, they're, they're going to make a difference no matter what your opponents do. In matter of fact, I, I highly doubt any much of the salt is coming from seeing them in the command zone. It's instead seeing them in the 99. You know, I think we've all at some point seen someone entomb and reanimate a ginger Texas very early. <coughs> Joey, cough, cough, Joey. You don't need to subtweet <laughs> me, Dana. I'm right here. Excuse me. <laughs> I had a tickle in my throat, Joey. That, that That's what that was. <laughs> oh man okay directed in no particular direction no that's an important thing for us to qualify about this list though yeah these are the saltiest commander cards the saltiest legendary cards but that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as the saltiest commander decks which we'll get right. to later on in the show but let's keep on going let's see if there are any other standouts on this list for example at the number three spot we have in coming after jingataxius is urza lord high artificer with a salt score of 2.32 and that one is definitely super popular a lot more substantial i imagine that this one is probably more of a result of like this being in the command zone because of just how dang popular this card actually happens to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, combined between Vorinclex and Jinkataxis, there's 500 decks. Uh, there's over 5,000 Urza decks. So this one definitely earns a spot on the merits of being a commander that people have probably seen and probably played against. The one thing I think I will note, and this is just like basically a personal opinion, I guess, but all the rest of the commanders we're going to see here, for the most part in this top 10 list, are a commander that does a stacks thing. <laughs> and while Urza can do a stacks thing, my personal annoyance whenever I've seen Urza is I feel like it just plays the game for you. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that's where my salt comes from. Like I, I once saw a person sit on in a pot with an Urza deck and they left to go to the bathroom and came back a half hour later and, and then they had won. <laughs> like it just happens sometimes. You, your, your deck just will win pods for you if you're not even present. So like that's for me at least where my Urza frustration tends to come. Tell us how you really feel. Oh man. <laughs> talk, talk about taking a dump on the table. He just right, took right, a right. dump and. Same multitasking thing. is what they call that. I think. Well, okay, so that so that was Dana having his little. I don't, see, I don't. Again, it's all in good fun. Like we are not taking this yes. too seriously. Um, which which I think leads us to number four, Matt. Which is not in good fun. This is definitely <laughs> not in good fun. Um, this is Turgard Grotta fight fright being number four guy. It might be got a fight actually because uh, <laughs> I will fight you if you play this. Oh man, I will. Oh. I will not actually. I will. I will not. Um, but it is still number the the number four saltiest commander card coming at 2.29 um, and this is another one of those stacks commanders uh, you put it out there whenever opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card you may put that card from the graveyard onto the battlefield under your control so you're stealing everybody's stuff it's 
we don't need to explain why this would be so frustrating because <laughs> chances are you probably know what that does because you may have played against it. There's almost 5,000 Turgor decks out there. They're, they're not unheard of. Yeah, th this one's wild to me just because like the previous time that we saw this effect was on It That Betrays, where when people sacrifice stuff, you get it. And that was a 12 mana card. Mm -hmm. and this is a five mana thing. And it has a back half, which is like an outlet to win the game if you get infinite mana for like some type of combo. Like, whew, this one's this is certainly a spicy one. Uh, but yeah, moving on farther down the list, a lot of these definitely fall into, as Dana said, the Staxi stuff. That is definitely the case with our next two examples. Number five on the list of most salty legend cards was Hokori Dust Drinker, which says that lands don't untap during their control is untapped steps. Uh, you basically only gets to get to untap one land per turn for things for that second ability. Oh man, that's just like... That, that I think that is definitionally stacks. And then the next one is actually, this is fun. Number six on the list is one of my mom's personal favorite cards, Grand Arbiter Augustine the Fourth, which has a salt score of 2.02. .02, and that's the very famous Azorius commander that makes your stuff cheaper, but your opponent's stuff more expensive. Um, yeah, my mom likes this card enough that she will even play it in her flying tribal decks, which... You know what? That's cool. But like, again, like we, we understand, I don't know, we started playing in the Ravnica block. So like, this is a one that actually means a lot to us as a family, because this is how kind of like we learned to play. So we're cool with it. it. But I also, having been on the receiving end of this card plenty of times, I'm also just like every so often as well. So like, I totally get it. Well, it's also one of those cards that like in the 99, it's way less frustrating than it is in the command zone. Fair. Yeah. And it, it also, you know, unlike the Jinja Texas of the world, you can't really entomb it and reanimate it in, in a way that's that's probably worth doing. Whereas, <laughs> so so it, I get the frustration, but I also understand why it's further down the list and some of the ones that were much higher up. Well, and, and Grand Arbiter might have been one of the original Stacks commanders too. Yeah, Hakori Dust Drinker has been around for a long time, but I don't ever recall it ever really being popular just because it's monocolored. But Grand Arbiter it's that, index versus it's yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It's kind of like the first two that we talked about. They're index, but they're not at the helm of decks. Sure. Yeah. Grand Arbiter has been at the helm of decks for a long time. It was, yes. Um, yeah. Ever since it was probably originally printed, it was going in command or in command zones, I should say. Hmm. So this is probably the the holdover. Like it, it's it's weird to see how long it's sat near the top of this of this list because it was kind of the original stacks commander. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. I, I think that there's also uh, that distinction to make about the card that comes in at number seven on the list, which is Emrakul, the Promised End. So again, a legend. The the one that I think this this might cause some a little bit of frustrations is because this is one that can take an opponent's turn. It kind of has that mind slaver effect. It gives them an extra turn after that, but like one turn is enough to completely demolish someone's board and like ruin all of their resources if you really want to. This one only has like as a commander, Emrakul has about like 514 decks to its name. It is by no means the most popular colorless commander i think that in most cases this is one of those cards that shows up in the colorless decks or in some decks that might want to uh i don't know cheat big things into play for example if you're playing like a belby deck for instance that can produce a lot of colored mana uh colorless mana uh really quickly then this can also be one of those top ends this one feels to me like more of a 99 culprit than a command zone culprit well in the next one too coming in at number eight i don't really know the last time that i saw this one because this one not so much like Grand Arbiter, but has kind of gotten the rule zero and eh, we're not really into playing that, but also probably just playing over spell table, which has kind of become one of the main ways that people have played. Mm -hmm. uh, Send Triplets has kind of slipped down a little bit coming at number eight. Mm -hmm. This one has a lot to do with stealing your opponent's stuff, seeing their hands and everything and doing so over webcam. It just gets a little more difficult. So I think folks have kind of gravitated away from that over the past couple years versus when we were playing in person all the time. 
being able to physically, okay, let me see your hand, let me take your things, let me put that onto my battlefield. Mm. Um, so it's just been a little hard. So I think it might be slipping a little bit just because of how people tend to play in today's game. Yeah, that's definitely something that stands out for that card is it's, it's with the advent of spell table for sure has hurt the popularity of, of sent triplets. Um, and, and I've seen that among people. Actually, I, I have two friends that had sent triplet decks. One took it apart and the other one has talked about it because if they both play enough on webcam that it, it becomes a, a non-playable deck at that point. So I've absolutely seen that in, in, in real life. Well, an interesting thing about last year's salt scores is that we actually saw a somewhat high salt score for cards like Xanathar Guild Kingpin, but this year the salt score on Xanathar went down. And that's another commander that has the same difficulties about like you're literally taking other people's stuff and over webcam that could be difficult. But Xanathar went down while Send Triplets has basically stayed where it was from last year. Um, like some slight jostling in position, but not anything noteworthy. And I think that there's a good distinction to draw there. Like just stealing stuff isn't the only thing that makes this card sometimes a little aggravating. You're stealing stuff from someone's hand, not even just from the top of their deck or stuff that they right. like, put in their graveyard that you're stealing with other cards. <laughs> like, like, no, you are taking directly, you are directly doing the I drink your milkshake thing to them. And that is just like, no, I came here to play with my cards. Thank you very much. So it's interesting to note that uh, not only is this card among the top 10 saltiest legendary cards, it's also not moved compared to other effects that at first appear somewhat similar. Well, and because of the way Sun Triplets works, you can only cast spells that you can make mana to to cast. So you also get situations where it's not like they're spreading around that hate. You you find yourself in a in a game sometimes where you are the Sun Triplets target every single turn because you are playing the colors they play. So that's another thing I've really noticed with that card. People tend to hate it because when they're in the pot of it, if they're in the right colors. They're just focused with it the entire time. Mm. And that's, that's super frustrating. You don't ever feel a moment when like the boot is off your neck. Well, and then to, to, to kind of wrap us up and, but still kind of be on theme. Um, we just have two more blue commanders that are going to wrap out the top 10. Um, so we have Jinkataxis, Progress Tyrant, and then Jeskai, but they're still blue there, uh, with Narset Enlightened Master, which is the original Narset. That was one that gets to attack and cast a bunch of non-creature spells for free. But it's kind of crazy that a couple of these newer commanders have gotten so, I, I wouldn't say popular, su such infamy built up already <laughs> um, in such a short time. Like Turgrid has been around for a year, half, two years now. Um, but Jinka Taxis came out this year. Um, it may seem like a few years ago, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's only it, 14 sets ago. Right. It was only, yeah, it was only 14 sets ago. Um, three weeks have passed. <laughs> Yeah, these are certainly interesting. It's nice to see that Jinkataxius is showing up twice on our top 10 list here. Um, but yeah, I mean, he counters stuff that your opponents do, like the first each turn, and then he doubles your own stuff. It definitely is another one of those cards that tilts things in your favor. And this one's actually got over a thousand decks to its name as a commander, and in terms of just how many decks it shows up in the 99, over 20,000 decks. Like, this one is seeing plenty of play, because that is a dang good effect. Another thing that I might consider entombing and then using a reanimation spell on it. No, wait, Dana won't like it. Never mind, never mind. Uh, Dana, forget that I said that. And then there's Narset, who's famous, and talk about her instead and distract from the fact that I mentioned reanimator shenanigans. Sure, sure. Well, in, in Narset, you know, it, there's there's some stacks ways to play her too, but again, that's one of those frustrating commanders where you feel like the person who's playing it is just automatically getting a ridiculous amount of value by virtue of having a commander in the command zone that's way better than anything you could be playing <laughs> and you can interact with it. So it's frustrating in multiple, on multiple axes. And I, I get why that one is also continued to, 
to be a salty commander despite having been around for at this point you know eight ish years almost yeah the play pattern of so many extra combat so many extra turn spells that she can play for free that can feel like ah man I d- i'm not sure that everyone's getting as much of the game as we as we want it so again all of these are always in service of noting that like these are good candidates to discuss make sure that everyone's on the same page about having you know the, the game experience that everyone wants to have is this going to be a silly fun game or is this going to be like a sweaty game are we leaning forward are, are we like putting up our dukes or is this kind of we all wanted to have a chill time because the imbalance is where frustration is going to actually happen so yeah uh, but again those were just the saltiest legendary cards and that is not the same thing as the saltiest commander decks and that's what we wanted to talk about next but well, I guess we can't actually talk about it next because there's something else that we have to do. Matt, we have to challenge success, don't you think? Like, we've, we've got to do that before we can keep on talking about all of the salt. I, I don't like your your segue. It wasn't forced enough. It wasn't like, <laughs> Kind of natural. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to be as natural as Mr. Olympia. We'll see if we can shoehorn something in crudely next week. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll shoehorn in a quick break. But after that, let's get back into talking about challenging the stats. All right, for the first uh, challenge this week, I want to talk about a card from back in the uh, most recent Ravnica block, Font of Agonies. Hmm. It's an enchantment for one black mana. Whenever you pay life, you may put that many blood counters on Font of Agonies. Uh, You can spend one in a black to remove four blood counters from Font of Agonies and destroy target creature. It's also a very cheap card. It's sitting at about 75 cents right now. If you are playing a commander like Tavash Gloom Summoner, which I am, or or Grevin Predator Captain, which Joey is, uh, commanders that routinely just baked into what they're doing make you pay a significant amount of life, it winds up just being a one-mana enchantment that you can spend one in a black at any point in time and remove four counters and kill a thing. Um, and very frequently, you have multiple activations available worth of counters on Font of Agonies with those commanders. And we just got a new one that's showing up here in um, the the new Warhammer 40k Universe Beyond deck, Mortarian Demon Primark. It's five and a black, and it has an ability, Primark of the Death Guard. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay X if you do create X22 black Astaris warrior creature tokens with menace, and X can't be greater than the amount of life you've lost this turn. So it's a deck that's going to be also losing life, similar to how Tavash wants to pay life and how you're going to be paying life with your Grevin Predator Captain deck. It's going to be just as much of a house in Mortarian decks as it is in the existing commander decks. And even in those, it's not played nearly as much. So um Font of Agony should see more play if you are playing a commander that routinely plays life. And if you're putting together a brand new Mortarian deck, put Font of Agony's in the list. Now, as a quick addendum to this, because Dana, you mentioned my boy Graven Predator Captain. And I know that the YouTube comments have already left this comment, but uh, I'll, I'll beat them to the punch, or at least I'll try to. Right, no, no one wanted to wait <laughs> six, six seconds for clarification. Uh, no, uh, Graven specifically says that you lose life. Uh, so that is different than paying life for the purposes of Font, Font of Agonies. But with that said, there are so many ways that you can use cards that pay life in Graven decks that like, I'm yes. still totally on board with that for the purposes of, of, of Graven as well, if you want. The, the Graven deck is usually running cards that enable him to lose life by hello wall of blood have how how are you doing pay one life to pump up my commander and do a bunch of lethal things draw bajillion cards and also font of agonies to destroy things in the way don't mind if i do so just wanted to add a quick clarification to your challenge dana and i appreciate uh how 
how, how bloody marvelous it was. Huh? Huh? Did that did that work? That was bad. Matt, take a challenge. <laughs> I'm, I'm an agony. Ah! I'll, hopefully, I'll I, I'll cast a healing salve on you or something. I, I'm trying to think of something. That one was so forced, which means we love it. All right. <laughs> it, it was more forced than the segues that I bring to the podcast. But hey. <laughs> I, I will do the challenge this week. So this week, actually, since since Dana's providing a challenge for one of Joey's decks. I, too, will provide a challenge for one of Joey's decks. Um, so I'm going to look at the card Digsite Engineer in Shorakai Genesis Engine decks. So Digsite Engineer is two and a white for a dwarf artificer that's a 3-3 that says whenever you cast an artifact spell, you may pay two generic mana. If you do, you create a 0-0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. Now, if you're playing a vehicles deck or you're just playing treasures in any of your decks, this card has the opportunity to make very, very large beaters for two mana. And all you have to do is just cast your soul ring or cast any artifact that's probably going to be in your deck. But in Shorakai decks, you're casting a lot of vehicles. The, the typical deck is kind of chock full of them. And Shorakai loves having big creatures that can crew up Shorakai. Uh, that does have a crew eight cost. And so having the ability to A, just make very, very mana valuable creatures is a great ability, but also you're going to make several of them because it only costs two mana each time. So you cast an Ether Sworn Cannonist and you just happen to <laughs> pay two mana. You make what becomes a 2-2 right off the bat. That's going to get bigger over time. If you have more treasures, you have all sorts of artifact creatures in your deck. These artifact creature tokens that you're making are going to be very, very big and very, very quick. So I just think that 10% of these Shorakai decks uh, playing Digsite Engineer, that number is probably a little bit too low. It's just able to make an army and a can. We, we talk about Mentor of the Meek, how it kind of got pushed out because, well, it only triggered off so many things. Like, this is a similar kind of effect. You know, you do a little thing, you pay a little extra mana, you get a bonus. Um, this bonus is pretty, pretty beefy. Yeah. Um, so I really like this card. I, it just an artifact decks in general, but I was looking at Shorakai specifically and the number seems a little bit low. So if you need some sort of mana sink, which I know Azorius, you have mana just floating around everywhere. But mm. if you do need a mana sink when you're recasting these artifacts, Digsite Engineer is a fantastic way to generate value out of casting all those artifact spells. I love this card. Digsite Engineer is one of those cards that I wish was a legendary. Absolutely. Like if this was a legendary mono white commander, I would have built it yesterday. Instead, what I built was Shorakai, but I didn't do the vehicle route as you were talking about. What I did was, can I make blue-white reanimator work? Can I make reanimator without black happen by using random weird old white cards that revive from the graveyard? I've had this deck for a while. I still don't know the answer to whether or not I've been able to pull it off. <laughs> but regardless, I love this card for the decks that you described. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I'm glad that it resonates a little bit with you. It do. It do resonate. All right. I'll move to our final challenge here. And this is actually our listener submitted challenge, which comes to us from one of our users in our Discord, uh, D-Y-L-G-I-B. I assume that this is pronounced Dilgib. My apologies if I am mispronouncing that. But holy crap, this challenge actually kind of rocks my world, and I'm really excited to tell everyone about it. Uh, so... Our challenger here is mentioning that the card Mercurial Transformation has some very curious stuff going on with the commander Essex Fractal Bloom. So as a reminder, Essex Fractal Bloom is the six mana Simic commander that says the first time you would create one or more tokens during each of your turns, you may instead choose a creature other than Essex and create that many tokens that are copies of that creature. And Mercurial Transformation has the very fun effect of being a uh, two mana blue sorcery that says until end of turn, target non-land permanent loses all abilities and becomes 
becomes your choice of either a blue frog creature with base power 1-1 one, one, or a blue octopus creature with base power and toughness 4-4. Four, four. So the key words on Mercurial Transformation that Dilgib is pointing out here is that this turns a non-land permanent into a creature. This is a card that animates, say, a random Ristic study or someone else's smothering tithe and turns it into mm. a creature. And then you can cast some random effect in your Essex deck, such as a fungal sprouting to make a bunch of tokens. And Essex can instead make a bunch of copies of that thing you just turned into a creature. And that rocks my world. That is so good. So Dilga aces on this challenge. This is actually Mercurial Transformation is a lesson from the Strixhaven set. Uh, so we give you an A plus 10 out of 10, like 110% on, on your lesson here. This is wild. It does not show up on Essex's page at all, but that is such fun synergy. How can you not have an amazing time if you manage to pull that off in an Essex deck? Get this into that deck. Absolutely love this challenge. A, a passing grade. I'm not going to give a 10 out of 10. That's that, that just means you're ahead of the curve, but a passing grade. Yes. How dare you, Matt? No, this is one of my prize students. It is a very good challenge. It is a very good <laughs> challenge. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, that was rad. And now let's get back to our main topic. So we went over the top, the, the saltiest legendary creatures, but as we said before, the most uh, salty legendary creature is not necessarily the same thing as the saltiest commander deck. Like for example, we went over the top 10, but like interestingly, number 11 was actually Edgar Markov, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Edgar Markov, I can totally see a lot of folks out there don't like the eminence mechanic. That's probably why he earns as a legendary creature independently a good salt score. But the rest of his deck is just full of a bunch of vampires that wouldn't necessarily be salt inducing. So it would be weird to say that he's high on the salt scores in terms of commander decks, but he is higher in terms of commanders. So that's a distinction to make. So I think that's what is going to bring us here to the actual saltiest commander decks. When we actually take their average deck data on EDH rec and we compile all of that, which commanders have the highest salt sum across all of those hundred cards is uh, the thing that we're going to start investigating here. Matt? Do you think you mind starting us off for the saltiest commander decks when compiled? Well, I sure can. And there's something that we noticed as we were kind of compiling all this information. Uh, there isn't a ton of decks at these higher end salty decks, um, maybe because they are pretty salty. Um, but we'll give a little more detail as to specifics on each one as we go. Mm. But the saltiest actually is kind of one of the pet decks of EDH rec founder, Donald Miner. Um, so it's it's very ironic and and kind of uh, self-satisfying in a way to see this. But uh, Taniwa is the saltiest deck on EDH rec. Um, the average salt score comes out to a compiled total of 43.9. And that's because Ooh. they're playing a bunch of cards like Sunder and Back to Basics and Mana Breach and cards that mess with all of your resources, which... As we've talked about over the history of these salt scores, players don't like it when you mess with their mana. We don't mess with their resources. And that's exactly what Taniwa decks do. Yeah, the ability of Taniwa says the beginning of your upkeep, all lands you control phase out. So you cast a Sunder to get rid of everyone else's lands, but yours are phased out. They'll come back later. You're perfectly fine. You escape the downsides. Why does Don love this deck so much? I, I absolutely don't understand. Don loves doing just the doofiest things, but in the most <laughs> efficient way possible. It's true. It, it's it's so wild to just watch his brain work, but also to he sunders the table and then he's giggling to himself because of just how much fun he's having. Yeah. And we're over here like, 
Man, we're just doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's an important thing to point out here. You mentioned that the average salt sum for this deck tends to be 43.9. As a point of comparison, when we actually take the um, mean and the median average salt scores across all decks, when like all of the average decks, the mean average salt score uh, would be 29.4 and the median would be 29.2. So for as a point of comparison, this one's over 10 points above like the usual saltiness that you would see in an average deck. Um, this is also it's, it's 50% higher, which is like significant, right? <laughs> like that, that's, yes. that's very significant people. One thing worth pointing out about Tanawa as well. It's a commander that doesn't really work at all unless you play it that way. Like there's, <laughs> it's a terrible card to play unless you are phasing out your lands to cast asunder so you're not going to this isn't a commander where you can tell the tale about how your friend has a really neat tanawa deck that really isn't like that because no one has that tanawa deck there's really <laughs> only this version of it because it's just terrible otherwise i totally feel that and this actually is another distinction that we want to make uh for the purposes of like the entertainment value of this podcast i guess um that a lot of the stuff that actually appears as the saltiest decks for this list would be other commanders that basically fall into the similar camp. Um, like Tanawa is interesting, but there's only a hundred decks built for Tanawa on the on, on in the Ediatrek database. And a lot of the other ones that we saw that had the highest salty sums tended to be either mono white or mono blue, or in some cases, Azorius commanders that also were like a hundred decks or less as well. Like, you know, we mentioned Hokori Dust Drinker as well. And that tended to dominate like the top 20 most salty sum decks. But like, those are also very small. Like, I don't know, those commanders are certainly interesting. I think that people can probably already come up with what they are off the top of their head. If it's mono blue has less than 100 decks and it seems like it might be doing some staxy stuff. Yes, it's probably one of the biggest salt sums. But that might not be the most entertaining to listen to, especially because those tend not to see as much play as uh, some of the other ones that we thought might be interesting to plug. So quick note about that. There are others that we wanted to get to, but we would like to have Tanawa serve as sort of an emblematic staxy monocolored uh, top of the list example that actually comprises there are a lot of different examples that are pretty close to its range. Um, but we won't just stick with the mono blue and the mono white examples. Let's instead move on to some other examples. Dana, what's our number two saltiest commander deck? So number two is Mishra Artificial Prodigy, uh, a four mana Grixis commander. He's a four, four and says, whenever you play an artifact spell, you may search your graveyard hand or library with a card with the same name as that spell and put it into play. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. Um, so as commander is a singleton format, I mean, conceivably you could play this as a seven dwarves deck, I guess. Um, and find some way to, you know, make them into an artifact and, and flip it down and, and find that spell again. But traditionally what people wind up doing is running a, a very chaos-based deck where you run things like Possibility Storm or Planar Chaos, things that basically do that effect anyway. So since, since you are going to be not casting the spell the way you intended to cast it, those things actually make your deck work and make everyone else's deck kind of not work. I feel like these examples are like build your own praters, right? Like To a degree, <laughs> yes. Yeah. These strategies that make severe resource imbalances for your deck versus other people. I'm just like, dang. I mean, I admire the hustle, I guess, right? Like, <laughs> Well, any, any deck that wants its cards to get messed with by Blood Funnel probably is up to no good. <laughs> and that's just exactly what Misha Artificer Prodigy wants to do. It's it's weird because I remember back in the day of 2016 and, and Commander was still kind of creeping around, 
people would post these primers, these expansive, okay, this is how Mishra is actually like a very cool commander. And if you need to read a small novel <laughs> in order to understand how the commander works and why why it does what it does, um, I, I tuned out. And so, yes, I, I understand the appeal of it, but also the cards that it's doing, it, it doesn't just mess with the Mishra player's decks. It messes with everybody's decks in a way that that's what makes it so unfun and hard to play against. It's very much one of those commanders that the first time you see it, you're like, oh, that's actually super clever and interesting. And I never want to see it again. <laughs> so what you're saying is that it earned its average salt sum of a 38.4 across its average deck. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that it earned it. It's basically if you want to play plane chase <laughs> in the command zone. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a good way to put it, actually. All right, moving to the third saltiest deck here, we have... This one's no mystery. Numat the Devastator with an average salt sum of 36.1 in its entire deck. Numat the Devastator is a Jeskai Dragon, one of those old ones. This is actually was in a Commander Precon, which actually does kind of baffle me. Um, whenever Numat deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two in a red. And if you do, you destroy up to two target lands. And the high, like <laughs> when we look through this thing's deck data, we see a lot of cards like Armageddon shows up in 62% of Numot decks. Impending Disaster, which also destroys all lands, shows up in 45% of all Numot decks. Um, yeah, this one's pretty brutal. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. Yeah, th this is, I think, more an example of, of a commander who's encouraging you to run a bunch of salty cards than it <laughs> is a commander who himself is, is particularly salty. Because I've stumbled across, you know, Numot before in someone's dragon deck and it's not really a huge concern for the most part for sure in the 99 it's when you are playing in your command zone and even then it's really not something that freaks me out too badly it's just the deck tends to be filled with a bunch of other cards that aren't that great to play against but you know shout out to the fellows from one more mana because ken i believe has a numat the devastator deck but yes. it's actually soldier tribal and numat is just there as a red herring <laughs> um, which is the best way to use this commander i think like I, I totally i think that's that's absolutely rad but i mean it, it, also to dana's point if we want to talk about commanders that just kind of lend themselves to being abused by all sorts of salty cards. Maybe not the commander itself is doing anything. Angus McKenzie is totally that commander too. Uh -huh. uh, you, you look at the average deck there, it's Seedborn Muse and Constant Miss and Peacekeeper and all these cards that are just, they kind of build a prison around them. And so it's not that Ang Angus McKenzie has a fog ability. Sure, fogs can be annoying, but setting the deck up to abuse the fog ability is kind of where people are like, okay, bud, let's... Hmm, let's get this over with. <laughs> and so, yeah, fogs every turn can be not game ending, game perpetuating. Yeah. However you want to say that. Yeah, I, I can see. So Angus got an average salt score across all of its average decks uh, there. It totaled to 35.4. So it's still, you know, pretty higher than the average there. Um, and yeah, I have to imagine that this is a part of the experience of like Seaborn Muse just feels powerful. But in conjunction with Angus, it's like, oh, I can literally never deal any combat damage unless you specifically decide. Um, and when combined with other effects, I mean, a lot of the deck also tends to be a lot of like good stuffy cards too, like Cyclonic Rift or Smothering Tithe, which... Are, are like also cards that have incidentally somewhat high salt scores as well. So like, I'm sure that doesn't help <laughs> this tech situation at all. I really like this commander. I think that you can do a lot of fun stuff with it, but I also see where the agony might come from. Yeah, I I've played with Angus McKenzie quite a few times. And in that moment when you realize, oh, it's down to me and the Angus player and I can't win is, <laughs> is a little bit salt inducing for sure. Um, the last one here I think we're going to talk about though is, is Sliver Queen. And I think this feels the most open-ended to me. Hmm. Um, I understand why Sliver Queen can be a frustrating, salt-inducing commander to play against. 
but it doesn't stand out to me at least having played I've played quite a few games against Liver Queens as well. Um, it's not as frustrating, I don't think, generally speaking, as even a couple of the other Sliver Commanders to play against. Um, so, so this is the one of the five that we've talked about here that kind of, to, to me, is maybe the most surprising. I think that's totally fair. I When we were compiling all of this, talking with Statistician, get it all you know going in, Silver Queen, I was like, oh, interesting. It has the average salt sum uh, for its average deck of 34.4. Specifically, though, one of the things that I think helps us out is, again, some of those, quote, good stuffy type of cards like Smothering Tithe tend to fill in the gaps, like uh, Teferi's Protection or Cyclonic Rift. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when cards are like very, very expensive or very, very powerful, that might earn them a high salt score as well. So you've got a lot of cards filling in the gaps of the rest of the slivers in the deck that have an incidental bump up of like one point or half a point or things like that. But then also, it turns out all of the five color sliver legends do have decently, not like high salt scores, but they also have like tend to have about a point of salt on, on them as well. And you're definitely playing those in a Sliver Queen Sliver Tribal deck. Um, so I think this one is like a little bit of a salt death by a thousand cuts, maybe in the 99. Totally makes sense. And, and slivers are actually, you know, as far as tribes go, frustrating to play against. So I, I do <laughs> understand where some of that comes from for sure. Yeah, exactly. Although it's interesting to note that like all of the commanders that we just discussed, like only one of them shows up. Uh, only one of these has more than 500 decks to its name. So I was curious. I wanted to keep digging. So for a final hurrah on the Saltiest Commander decks, I kept searching and I wanted to find what about a commander that has over a thousand decks in the EDHREC database? What is the most salty commander for that experience when it's like actually like, you know, uh, just more popular when it's like not just like 100 decks or 200 decks or 600 decks? What's over a thousand? And this one is the one that actually surprised me the most. And that is Sahili the Gifted, the blue-red artifact Planeswalker deck uh, from one of the precons, I think back in 2018. Um, has 1,600 decks to her name with an average salt sum in the deck of 33.3 uh, for all of the cards in the 99. This one... This one done did me a surprise moment. Uh, when I started looking further into it, I think I started to get it. But this is this is the one that surprised me, I think, even more than Sliver Queen. I, Sahili just se seems so innocent to me. I'm like, how could this one be salt-inducing? Well, and I've played against multiple Sahili decks over the, over the years, several times this year, different decks from different people. And none of them ever stood out at me as being a, a problem in anything, any way that I noticed anyway. Yeah, it's odd seeing this one so high. I there are some problem cards. Um, Dockside Extortionist, everybody seems to be up in arms about lately. <laughs> but also there's there's cards and synergies like Micah Synthlattice. Every time you see that card pop out, you know somebody's up to no good. That is the moment that the penny dropped for me with Sahili. I'm like, oh yeah, Sahili likes having a lot of artifacts, reduces the cost of all of your spells. Micah Synthlattice is pretty big in this deck. And that also means that cards like Karn that locks down all artifacts your opponent's control might also sneak into some of these decks every so often. Or since you are reducing the cost of your artifact spells with this Planeswalker, turns out Blightsteel Colossus is a pretty popular pick for Sahili as well. And that's when the puzzle pieces started to kind of fit together. I'm like, oh, okay, I think I see where this kind of came from. Uh, generally, though, I like the lesson for me is that I did have to go searching to find one of those uh, c commanders that uh, is like super popular and has like a high salt score. And even then, this one is not quite as big as the other ones that we saw. And I don't know, even further, going one step beyond that, the salt score average across all decks was still like, what, 29 something? So like, it's not like there are decks that we construct that have absolutely no salt whatsoever in them, you know? Like, this is community-based pulling and we all have a little bit of like, ooh, these cards have a bit of an edge to them in all of our decks. And again, it just comes back to making sure that everyone's in the mood for what those experiences will be. I think the last thing we want to talk about here are the most contentious cards 
Um, these are cards that got a ton of votes for either zero or four salt with a little in between. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting thing to look at to see what cards that that people either hate or don't have feelings about one way or the other. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm interested to to get into this. Uh, <laughs> Dana, I feel like um, you might have opinions about some of the cards well, that we see on this list. In, actually, <laughs> in, in just a general sense, I think the vast majority of them, number one, are cards that you just don't see very often. Um, so that's probably why one of the reasons you'll, you'll see a card like, you know, Divine Intervention, for example, um, that's only been printed once back in Legends. It basically is a troll card, right? <laughs> it, 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 it causes the game to be a tie. Um, so like the, the, uh, the average player is going to see that and they'll read it, and, but it won't, it won't fire off any particular feeling one way or the other. They, they'll know it doesn't look like a particularly exciting card, but it's like, I'm never ever going to see that. It doesn't inspire any negative emotions in me, whatever. Except for unless you're the person who's seen it in a game and had everything wind up, you know, all, all be all feel like it's, it was all for naught, then you do get mad and you you give it that 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 four salt. So I, I think a lot of these are, are are cards that people maybe just don't see, um, and but when they do, it's an awful experience for that person. Mm. Yeah, well put, well put, Matt. Any uh, standout for you? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy the discrepancy between the high and low average scores on all these all of these land destruction spells. You have Decree of Annihilation that had such a huge deviation between the the high and lows, but also you have Apocalypse, Ravages of War, hmm. Obliterate. All of these land destruction spells. It seems it's it's all or nothing. Either people don't mind it at all, or people really absolutely just hate it, um, and a lot of them too. More people hate them, it seems, because the, the, the salt scores are higher typically on these. But then there's some people that just zero, one, maybe. People <laughs> just don't mind it. And so it's that's one thing that I think players need to be very aware of is you may be totally cool with this thing. But having this as a tool, having the salt scores as something to help equip you going into a Magic Fest or, or going into a new LGS, be aware. And like Joey, like what you said communicate these things to the people that you're sitting down in pod with. Okay, this is my so-and-so deck. Um, I have Decree of Annihilation and Impending Disaster in the deck. Um, That's just something to keep people aware of. Some people may say, well, do you have another deck? Because we're not really in the mood for mass land destruction. Sometimes they might be cool with it and let you play that one game. But that's absolutely something that it, there's a theme here. And it's cards are doing a similar thing. And they're all very high on these scores. Yeah. Well, and I think the land destruction thing is brings up a or, or, or bookends nicely with the point I made. Um, Ravages of War is, is functionally a reprint of Armageddon, um, but Armageddon's been reprinted many more times, and it's a card that, that is played much more frequently than Ravages of War. Mm. So, so uh, my guess again is because people don't see Ravages of War, it doesn't trigger that and that immediate like visceral response of "f you." card i'm giving you four salt because i've never seen it so there's probably plenty of people that i I would guess the difference in ravages of war and armageddon is there's a lot more zeros for ravages of war from folks who don't have a visceral reaction versus armageddon that they have seen and immediately do have a hair trigger response no this is an absolutely good point sometimes the amount that we have seen a card might affect our Mm -hmm. impression of that card um uh, yeah, how often a card sees play might even affect the way that people engage with it. There's a very important distinction between cards that read as salty and cards that play as salty as well. And that's uh, an important thing for us to keep in mind um, that sometimes just exposure to these cards can also affect our impressions of them. Um, 
you know, I, I got to say, though, there, there are two more examples here that I think are especially interesting. Um, and Dana, I know that they're your favorites. They're chaos cards, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, Warp World, for example, and a thieves auction, which cause a whole bunch of zany, ridiculous people controlling brand new things. It usually takes a very very long time to resolve these cards and once they are resolved the battlefield looks completely different your stuff might be on her table and her stuff is over on their table and like it's just completely rewrites it is pure chaos and those also tend to earn either a zero vote or a four vote with very little in between and i feel like that's maybe an experience that dana you can also speak to <laughs> yeah absolutely it's it's it, it's the kind of thing that i definitely like grand scheme of things warp world and thieves auction aren't that big of a deal and don't show up that often commander yeah. but i've had enough I, but when i have ran into them they've given me the exact opposite of a kind of game i'm looking for i, I want to see a game where it's won by someone who brewed a cool deck and did a clever thing versus a game that's won by somebody who potato hedgehog hurricane <laughs> and that's what those cards give you that kind of like this random thing just happened i don't know what just occurred and i don't know how i lost or won or or, or what um, so yes, that, that, that's a perfect example of, of cards that very much give me kind of that visceral response where my fingers clicking four before I even know what happened. Well, and, and this kind of applies to Dana, your last point too. Um, there, yeah, there's warp world, there's thieves auction, there's all those. But then if you go down the lower in the list, there's goblin game too, which mm -hmm. is definitely yeah. a chaos card. Uh, I think the reason goblin game is so low is because I don't think a goblin game has ever actually been resolved oh, no. in real life. Oh, I can because <laughs> a there, there there's so many words on there. Like it's a Strixhaven <laughs> card. Nobody knows what it actually does. But I, I, it, I can. That's one of my younger brother's like favorite cards, actually. So well, you your take younger that brother back. can can stay in Seattle wherever you guys are. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it, it people just don't see it because it, goblin game also is kind of a more obscure card it's back from i want to say plane shift apocalypse one of those old old sets and there's just so much going on that i i just would be willing to bet that people just have never seen one resolve to have that proper oh this is a chaos card type of response to it kind of like with ravages of war versus armageddon just people aren't familiar with it mm. to associate it with those other similar cards yeah, that's an important thing for us to keep in mind is like, you know, just because a card is might be famous for a thing doesn't mean that there aren't other things that might be a little bit worse. I mean, this actually kind of feels to me a little bit like the precon effect that we sometimes see, where sometimes cards uh, might work their way into decks and they'll have a big bias in the data uh, because they are famous cards. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best cards. And that is also definitely the case here. Cards that are famous might uh, incur a bigger salt score, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually the one that you personally will have the most frustrations play, playing against. Good thing for us. To, a good lesson for us to take away. Um, Dana, I cannot get over the potato hedgehog hurricane thing, though. <laughs> like, speaking of memes, I, I mentioned a meme earlier, and I'll mention another one here is like, what's that meme of like, state your last name, uh, your first name, last name, and occupation about the bird man or whatever? But now I'm just imagining it for the potato hedgehog hurricane. <laughs> what's your first name? Potato hedgehog hurricane. And occupation? Potato hedgehog hurricane. Like, I don't know why that's so funny to me, but you absolutely got there. You, I don't even you got know what's going that. on anymore. <laughs> this is what happens when we talk about Warp World. Chaos. <laughs> this is what happens when Thieves Auction resolves in a game. Man. Oh, okay. Potato Hedgehog Hurricane. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. There's one final thing that I want to mention here. And Matt, it goes back to the uh, thing that you mentioned at the very top of this episode. And we were giving examples of uh, what type of card is a zero and what type of card is a four. Okay. Um, okay. And as a last note for this episode, I think it's funny to note that the, the basic land island actually does have a salt score of 0. 0.728. <laughs> 
So you got there, fam. Uh, one of the basic lands. It's not quite at a one point, uh, but it's getting there. It's trying its darndest. It's trying its darndest, but you, you won't see any other basic lands on this list. Just <laughs> island. Just basic island. I don't know. You know what? Given time, forest could certainly creep up there. Green does a whole lot of stuff after all. Green counterspells could be a thing that they decide in the next they probably have already done it. It's just coming up in the next Strixhaven. Yeah, who in the next Strixhaven? It'll be a very wordy counterspell, and I'm sure you totally yes. like that. Oh man! All right, this certainly went off the rails, but I think we're going to wrap it all up here, listeners. We would love to hear from you about the cards that you think are the most salt-inducing and what you think can affect our our different biases and perceptions of these cards. But we also want to make sure that we say once again that all of this is, of course, just in good fun, and it's a great signal about like, hey, let's make sure that we're all on the same page because a certain card in one player groups and in one playgroup's hands could be perfectly cool, perfectly fun. And in another playgroup, it might be like, hey, let's have, we'd love to have a conversation about that. And that's what these always are, are in service of, is making a better gameplay experience for everyone out there who wants to engage with them. So with all of that, let's wrap this very salty episode to a close. And fellas, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. We have great games and great guests every single week. So make sure you tune in for all the fun over there, too. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rack and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRackCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRackCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRackCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember to EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>